0: Hey guys, what is up? Welcome back to what is the final season of Flourishing with PTSD, a podcast designed to help normalize conversations around mental health specifically in the context of PTSD, also known as post-traumatic stress disorder. If this is your first time tuning in for an episode, first of all, I would like to personally welcome you. I do advise that since this is a final season that you do go back and listen to earlier episodes before listening in on these episodes. If you are a regular listener or someone who occasionally pops in for an episode here and there, welcome to you as well. My name is Manda. I am the host. This is as good a time as any to let you know that I am not a medical professional in any capacity. I am not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a girl who has lived through trauma and is well on her way to healing and living her best life. As always, I will put a general trigger warning on today's episode, so please take a moment to check in with yourself and see how you're doing and where you're at before you're deciding whether or not to continue. All right, well, I think I've said this many times over the course of the podcast, but I'll say it again today just for emphasis, is that I feel so incredibly fortunate to have done all of this work on this platform for so many reasons. And I mean, really the list of things that I enjoy about making this podcast is endless, but probably my most favorite thing is meeting new people that I would have never met if I had never decided to do this podcast in the first place. And now I have a whole new bar- ballpark of people that I get to call my friends. Um, and I'm, just, I'm just so lucky. And... Again, as I started to draft out the final season, I wanted to make sure that the podcast had as much of a comprehensive reach as possible with as many voices telling their stories so that maybe if a listener couldn't relate to my story, maybe they could find hope and relation to another story and another voice. And again, the primary focus of this final season is how there's movement in our stories and how that movement is possible. And it I want to make sure that we talk about how trauma can impact a person on a series of levels and most importantly, how people can discover and walk the path toward healing. So uh, speaking of inviting other voices onto the podcast, I am joined today by someone who we haven't met on here before, and I'm so excited to hear alongside you, the listeners, their story and how they are walking their own path to healing in the aftermath of trauma. So I would love to introduce to you all Lou, a survivor of CPTSD, also known as complex post-traumatic stress disorder. She struggled with CPTSD for over 40 years and found her path to healing through sound in its many forms. She is a trauma survivor. Over the span of her first 19 years, she would experience neglect, torture, threats made on her life, beatings, rape and the deliberate emotional and mental invalidation. She went on to become a Reiki master, a certified emotional freedom technique and neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, and is now a certified master life coach specializing in overcoming fear beliefs and finding self-worth. She is the author of Tortured to Triumphant, her spiritual journey through complex PTSD, and an advocate for mental health, because it all starts with what we are programmed to think. Lou, welcome to Flourishing with PTSD. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
0: I'm so excited to have you here. And I mean, gosh, what an introduction. I am already, before hearing too much of your story, I am in awe. I am inspired. I am grieving for you a little bit. And um, again, just that, that inspiration, it just fills me up with such a warm feeling. And I'm so excited to be talking with you today.
1: Well, I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. How are you feeling? How are you doing?
1: I'm um, a little excited, a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not used to this yet. This is only my second one, wow. second podcast. So yeah, well, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Just take it away.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And I'm so thankful that you have decided to go public with your story and to share it and that I'm also grateful that you are trusting the Flourishing with PTSD community and trusting me to uh, represent your story and display your story um, so that people can also be inspired and uh, hopefully relate in some ways to the journey you've been on.
1: Well, it was one of the reasons for writing the book was in hopes that it would help others to start their journey of healing. And even if they're already in their journey of healing, maybe finding another tool another way of looking at things that would help them to progress even further along their line of uh, healing.
0: Yeah, that's that's amazing. That is so incredibly amazing. Um, and okay, so Torture to Triumphant, your book, that was published very recently, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Um, well, I'm not quite sure what you want to know about the, the actual aspect. There's, there was a lot of uh, reasons that, that book even came about, I had started writing, um, well, a little over 20 years ago. And because of, com- of course, at the time, I didn't know that I had complex PTSD because it didn't even, that therapy and even the definition hadn't even come about at that time. Um, PTSD was, was starting to be known, but it just, complex PTSD hasn't really been hasn't even really started to take hold until 2018. And you think about that. When I first started writing the book, that was only three years Mm. before the, you know, the psychiatric community and psychological community that were willing to acknowledge that that existed. Um, I was misdiagnosed numerous times over the years. Um, It was very frustrating because I did a lot of my own research And I've always been one of those. I've I've always felt that I was responsible for my health and that included mental health. Mm. But I didn't have, I didn't have, I had a library. Mm. Didn't have access to a lot of the stuff you do now because it didn't exist, period. Wasn't there. Um, Got heavily into self-development in the early 90s. And that became my passion, to be quite honest about it. that's it was a little before that that I that I started getting involved in different things with spiritual but as far as mental health was concerned there was quite the stigma back then and I was that was one of the things that I had problems with that I was literally in invalidated with was that I didn't know I never knew what I was talking about I I I was making things up. It was just my imagination. This is the type of thing I grew up with that really invalidated anything and just about everything I thought growing up well into my, well, well into my late twenties.
0: Wow. Wow. Well, that is definitely the premise for not only a much needed book, but a great book. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I'm so excited to get my copy. Um, and I, I look forward to reading it and I look forward to getting to know you, the author and you know, the, the person behind the book. So, um, would you mind, um, and again, it's totally in your wheelhouse sharing as much of your story as you are comfortable sharing with your CPTSD.
1: Well, my CPTSD, no, CPTSD, excuse me, um, started literally at birth. My birth mother wanted nothing to do with me. um, matter of fact, I wouldn't know this until I was well into my forties, but um, there were three other children besides me. I was the fourth in line, and um, apparently, my mother at that time didn't really care about taking care of any of us, which led us to be put placed in the care of her mother by the courts because of her neglect um, and then there was that, and then apparently. My grandmother, it was, I I was told years later when I started getting into therapy and stuff that generally when people get overwhelmed, especially in that type of situation, I mean, think about it, four kids, and she wasn't that well off. So it was pretty much a poverty situation for her, uh, trying to keep up with four kids and feeding and this type of thing and doing the work that she was doing, and um, apparently, she decided that I was her, pretty much her punching bag. Um, That lasted, according to the paperwork, that lasted about eight months until one day she decided to um, set me on a hot stove-eye. And neighbors heard me screaming and called the police. And the minute they walked in the house, they picked me up and took me out. I was tied up. I had, there was blood and stuff around my mouth. Uh, they were bruising. And um, I spent my third birthday in a hospital. Uh, during During the hospital stay, they discovered that I had a heart murmur. I was very malnourished. Um, more bruising. Of course, you know, the burns from being sat on a hot stove eye. And um, after that, they wouldn't, of course, they wouldn't, let me go back. <clears throat> and so they put me in an adoption center where my future parents would find me. And basically I was led into a life of servitude. Um, I became the one who did the dishes, did the cooking. I, I distinctly remember at six and seven years old, standing on a step stool to be able to iron, to do dishes, to start cooking, to do laundry. Um, anything and everything to do with keeping up with the house. Um, I was trained to do all of it because um, my adoptive mother apparently had cancer shortly after they, um, they got me. They already had one other daughter that they had adopted. She was not my, she was not one of my actual blood sisters. Um, And there were a lot of things that happened with her because she, of course, well, in, in today's society, they would consider her. I guess we used to call it mildly retarded. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a low IQ, which means she couldn't she couldn't comprehend, comprehend a lot of things. And the teaching her was pretty much the same way of teaching me, and I would have to listen to her screams from being beaten and slapped around and all this kind of thing growing up in addition to everything they did to me as well, which would lead me to um, develop some triggers that were not good. Um, Growing up, even after I got into adulthood, and one of the reasons I, which led me into my most recent therapy, um, was hearing a child screaming. Um, It was one of the things it would literally enrage me and I would be a mess for days after that. And it was like, I mean, and people just couldn't understand them. I mean, it's just a kid crying. What's your problem? It's like, no, I'm hearing screaming and nobody could understand. I tried to tell, you know, therapists and psychiatrists for that matter over the years. And they were like, they was like, they just couldn't understand why that was such a thing. And it was, like, well, it really is a thing for me. And um, so there was a lot of misunderstanding from the the medical field, um, mainstream medical, I should say. But that's basically the the course of my first 19 years. The invalidation came in. um, Well, let's see. Get back on time track here. When I turned 11 and I actually had uh, started um, my period, is when my father started raping me. Um, So that was quite the adventure as well. Um, Now, it wasn't your typical rape situation with penis, even Jesus' fingers. And he would make me stand in front of him and let him do this to me, Um, usually with a gun by his side, threatening to kill me if I said anything. Um, and he would also say other things that, um, uh, I, even to this day, I have difficulty with because of stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of, I am worthy. I can do this. I am intelligent because these are things he would say while he was doing this was, you know, you're stupid. This is the only thing you're good for. You'll never amount to anything. Um, And that's that's the kind of thing I had to deal with for the better part of four years until he finally died. Um, So, and my mother actually saw it one time and turned and walked away and said nothing, did nothing. And that was probably one of the first betrayals that I was very, very conscious of. Um, And then after that, that, then to me, yes, a lot of that was... that's where a lot of the PTSD comes in. The complex PTSD came in pretty much with the fact that the invalidation. To me, that is probably the worst part of going through um, an extended period of uh, childhood trauma is that nobody, nobody would validate what I was saying. I would try I told a teacher one time, I don't know if she thought I was lying, but she turned around and told. within hours told them what I told her. And I got the worst beating of my life. I was bleeding by the time they got through beating me. Um, And was told, what happens inside this house stays inside this house. Don't ever open your mouth to anyone again or we will kill you. And so, you know, You just you stop believing that anybody really cares or that, it, or that you matter, period. And I know there's a lot of people out there that have probably been through this, quite possibly even worse. Um, but you are worth it. And that's what matters. And getting to where you know you're worth it is the journey. But it's a journey worth taking. And that was the biggest premise behind writing the book was to realize that, you know, yes, it took me 30, 40 years to find all the answers, but in this day and age, you don't have to wait that long anymore. And they finally are not, there's been so much, so much improvement in mental health and acknowledgement and overcoming that stigma um, that, you know, you're not crazy, you're not broken. You've had these experiences, you have these feelings, you know, whether anybody else has had them or not, you have, and that's what matters. It's learning to work through them and get them to realize and to let go of the emotional charge behind what's happened to you. That was one of the the biggest freeing things for me. And, but I wouldn't discover that until I was in my mid sixties. And I'm so glad I did because it, that's, I don't think this book would have happened. I don't think I'd be here talking to you if it hadn't. Um, I was able to step out of my comfort zone and realize, because that was something I was always haunted throughout adulthood, was that I, I knew I was, I just kept getting this feeling. I know I'm so much, I know I'm more capable than this. I know I'm capable of so much more than this. Um, but it was, a, you know, a process. But it, like I said, it, took me 40 years to finally put all the pieces to the puzzle together. And that's one of the things people need to realize you don't have to wait that long anymore. It's out there. You can do it. You just have to do the work.
0: Wow. Well, I am. And for the listeners context, this is the first time I'm hearing uh, Lou's story. Um, And I just want to offer up the fact like there are no there are no words, obviously, um, that can do it justice. Um but I, I just wanna offer my grief and sincerest sorries for everything that you've had to go through, both, you know, in your first 19 years with that sizable seismic trauma. Um and then following that up with years of being invalidated by a system that didn't have words for your symptoms and experiences yet. I mean, I that is a whole added layer, many layers of um, trauma to the trauma. And so I'm just so deeply empathetic and grieving for the younger you and also just, again, filled with that warm feeling of, talking with you today and just being so inspired by how you are making a better life for yourself and finding that healing and that that's a journey that we continue to go on and i just i mean i am truly speechless by all of it lou yeah incredible how did it feel to share that
1: it was a little nervous but um it, uh, it's interesting. The more I tell the story, the less the less it gets to me. Um, there was a time when, I, matter of fact, when I went through therapy, uh, it took weeks to be able to even talk about the individual incidences. And now I can talk about it, and I'm sure people probably heard some of the quiver in my voice. But um, compared to the fact that I spent decades trying to bury it and wouldn't talk about it, mm-hmm. um, I'd say I'd come a long, long way. <laughs>
0: yeah. And isn't that, I mean, as far as good feelings go, right? Isn't that a great feeling to be able to look back and say, oh, that's where I was and look at where I am now.
1: Yes, it is. Um, that is part of my triumph. Yeah.
0: That's is a-
1: that I now, I now I'm free to speak, Um and not not just because they're gone, because I still wouldn't talk about it even after they were both gone. Um, but I am free to talk about it, and it doesn't bother me. It's like nope, this is this it happened I mean yeah. but any to me anything can be overcome, and there's of course a lot more that happened as an adult, but watching well, you can read the book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I I very much lo- am looking forward to reading your book absolutely. Um so can you just remind people because it's been a minute since I've had someone on the podcast with CPTSD rather than PTSD. Would you mind just explaining the difference between those before we continue on?
1: Um one of the little PTSD is basically um it's a, it's, it's a singular incident for the most part. Um, although the guys that went over to Vietnam and I knew quite a few when I was younger, um, had continued serious PTSD moments, um, basically very traumatic, very, um, affects the body, the nervous system. And a lot of times the emotions that are invoked because of the instance and it, it can be a car crash, um, you know, seeing somebody die, being involved in a shooting, um, this type of thing. Um, complex PTSD is extended trauma over a long period of time. I personally think that anybody that's been in a war situation for any length of time suffers from both. Because they, they you have to deal with the aftermath. You have to confront um, that constant trauma, shock. Um, that, that happens when you're presented with something um for complex btsd one of the things they add is that it usually is does involve the invalidation um especially for children because of the way they've been treated growing up and they consider that by far um the worst part of going through complex, developing complex PTSD it's, is the invalidation. And it doesn't have to be words. It can be lack of words. Um, one of the things that I had to deal with was what I called the silent treatment. And so if I did something that my mother didn't like or didn't agree with, um, she, could go, she could go days, sometimes weeks without even acknowledging my existence. And it didn't matter where I spoke to her or not.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, again, there's just, there's so much weight in that. Um, so, I mean, unfortunately, wow is the only word that I can summon at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: so. you know, um you know, it's, it's interesting since I've written a book and I have spoken with a lot of people and um, they're they're like, it's kind of like, how did you survive that? And it's like, the only thing I need to say is, the only time I felt safe was when I was alone. Mm. Uh, Most kids, you know, they don't feel safe when they're alone. Me, I went the opposite direction. I felt way safer when I was alone. And I did have moments where I get to be outside and just be by myself. And those were my happiest moments. That and then getting involved with music. Um, I was seven and they had a organ. They'd, I don't think you can even find these anymore. But um, they, had a, they did have an organ in the house. And for whatever reason, I climbed up on the bench and I started playing with it. And I was like, ooh. I mean, I really, I like that. It was like, oh, that's different. I can make sounds. And I think if I honestly believe that is the only reason that I mentally survived and am not in a psychiatric institute was the music and nature.
0: Mm.
1: Um, Music was the only way I could express myself and nature was the only way I could find solace.
0: Mm. Wow. And I can deeply relate to the, the music side of things. I think, um, you know, music just, it take, it transports you somewhere and it's almost like a dissociative experience, but it's a safe dissociative experience, especially when you're going through something so traumatic, or maybe you're not sure how to cope with something. I mean, music really just, it interacts with the brain in a way that I don't think we even fully understand yet. Um, I
1: personally, I've done a lot of, um, I've done a lot of research into sound healing. And one of the things that um, I discovered, and apparently I just knew to do this instinctually, but what it does is it does connect you to spirit. Mm. Um, It connects you to that higher level of consciousness. And it does take you out of being human because we are energy bodies to begin with. Um, Science has proven that quite recently, that we are energetic bodies we there is a spirit living in inside this body, um, or an energy that lives in. Because I've I've seen people die in my lifetime, and that is one of the first things that I noticed was that the minute they were gone, their eyes went completely dull. It's that energy that lights up your eyes, and um, sound. Is one of the, um, you can use sound to change the energies in the body, um, whether it be through actual music, through playing music. You can also use it with tuning forks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and oddly enough, sound healing also involves writing.
0: Writing. Because most
1: people, when they read, hear the words in their head. Mm-hmm. Not everybody. But most people, but they at least hear a voice, especially especially during you know an adventure or a romance, I mean they start they start having dialogue, they're hearing the dialogue in their heads. Most people don't realize they're doing this, but if you stop and you you you, you experiment with it a little bit, you'll figure out which you know which one you do. Some people see the words in their head, but most people we actually hear the words that we're reading,
0: yeah. Yeah, and
1: absolutely. so that's you know it's it's what I, I was like wow okay <laughs> that's different but I've always been a writer um I started writing when I was 11 and again that's the sound and it's a combination of sound and light and I think that was another release for me because I did a lot of writing back then and um got I had hundreds of poems um just writings about different thoughts about what I had about certain things. Um, now, while I was still at home, I never, I never wrote anything about them because I knew she'd find it. <laughs> yeah. She had this wonderful way of not caring about one's privacy. Um, so I would never do that. But um, I wouldn't do that until later on when I knew uh, she was nowhere around where she could do anything about it. Um, but I think that also helped. Me to work through a lot of stuff in my own head along the way, but I knew there was, I knew I, I needed to do more. I just didn't know where to find it.
0: Okay, our meeting is has about two and a half minutes. Can you see the countdown?
1: No, I don't see any countdown.
0: Okay, so it has about two and a half minutes. So I gave a little pause there just to help with the editing of the splicing that i'll do so i'm gonna go okay. ahead and recreate a meeting and we'll come in and we'll go right into the next question i i thought that was a perfect bridge there so when we come back we'll talk about um you know there's a spiritual element that you have as part of your journey would you mind speaking to that a little so we'll okay. we'll go into that. does that sound good okay okay, okay. and how are you doing uh, how, do you feel? how do
1: i do i need to cut how-
0: all right um so, you know, you talk a little bit about a spiritual element in your story. Um, Is there, like, something that you can speak to about that, something about this spiritual element um, that you've mentioned?
1: Well, actually, there's been numerous incidences. Um, I remember when I was seven, um, actually, I was probably still six that summer because my birthday isn't until late summer, um, we had gone up to – my mother's sister's home up in uh, Massachusetts. And um, we had been, my sister and I had been given permission to go play down by the dock. Um, and I remember we were, I was pushing, I was I was going out into the water and I was hanging on to the pillars of the dock. Well, the pillars of the dock were kind of slick and every once in a while I would slip and I, and I would of course go down underneath the water But I would hit bottom and then push myself back up and then grab hold of the pillars again. Well, I got about uh, three-fourths of the way of the length of the dock, and this happened again. And only this time I kept going down. Couldn't find bottom. Let us say I kind of (laughs) panicked. And I felt the water coming into my lungs. And I just felt myself sinking. And then all of a sudden... I see this beautiful white light coming down, and I remember I'm reaching for it, and the next thing I know, I'm in a bed in my aunt's house, and it's dark outside, so obviously I'd been out for quite a while um, and i'm and it was like i knew i knew there i at that moment I knew there had to be something more. course in a six-year-old's brain that's you know what do you do with that um I tried talking to my mother about a lot of different things that I would see and feel and I was told it's just your imagination you don't know what you're talking about and uh, that's that can't be real and um but that was probably one of the most intense at that age um another thing that I had happen is I was again I was by myself and um I had a little red wagon, and I used to love to just lay in that little red wagon. Well, this particular time, I laid in that little red wagon, and I just totally relaxed, closed my eyes, totally relaxed, and the next thing I know, and I don't know how else to put this into words, it was like I I felt like I had literally become one with the planet because I could feel it moving. Now this, now, this one kind of jolted me a little bit. It was like, what just happened to me? And um, But I never forgot it. Um, and maybe that's probably why I have this connection with Mother Nature so strongly. But um, one of the most intense moments that I, and it's really what started me on my journey to healing, I was going to commit suicide and... Um, I had already put a gun to my head and had decided, no, that, that, that could not, that may not do the job. So I went to the top of a 50 story, 15 story building and started to climb over the edge. And next thing I know, I hear this voice just like it was right there. And it said, Lou, don't do this. This isn't, this isn't the answer. And, um, I, I literally, because no, nobody knew I was up there. I mean, I, I made sure that, no, I didn't leave a note, nothing. So I knew nobody knew I was there. And it was like, where the hell is this coming from? And um, I whipped around. Matter of fact, I whipped around so hard I almost fell. I had to literally grab the edge just to make sure I didn't. And um, about this time, I get this panoramic view of both of my daughters and what would happen to them if I committed suicide, what their lives would be like. Hmm. And it said, is this what you want for your daughters? And I said, no. And about that time, this Voice said, please come back over the edge, go seek help. It's, it will get you through, but this isn't the answer remembering you are not alone and I'm like it was to say I, I really thought I was crazy at 10 <laughs> it's like okay I've totally lost it um but I did climb back up with the braille I went and I sought help and it was the beginning um I was literally. They had me on medication for quite some for quite some time, and I finally said, "Okay, I can't do this anymore." Mm-hmm. I, it literally made me fe- made me feel like I had no feelings, no emotions, no nothing, not even the good ones. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay, this this is not how I want to live my life." And um, that's when I started reaching out and seeking other answers. And I had been to several therapists, and I actually had one look at me and say, um, "Actually, this was a psychiatrist that said this to me." told him my basically my story and uh excuse me he said i don't understand why you aren't in a rubber room or prison and i'm like well i kind of kind of why i'm here because i thought maybe you could tell me why i wasn't (laughs) (laughs) because i already knew i already knew i had some issues (laughs) and it's like wow um apparently you don't have the answers for me so (laughs) see you later um (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't until I really started getting involved in spirituality and, self, and self-development and self that I finally started finding the answers and tools that I could use that helped me get through a lot of things. Um, but really, because th- the problem was, it wasn't my conscious mind that was having the problem. It was like having two people in the same body. So I thought I understand where schizophrenia might come from, Um <laughs> what was happening is that the subconscious where all this was buried from literally the day I got here um, is what was affecting my conscious mind. And until you deal with all that, it's, it's really difficult to stay conscious Mm -hmm. to not get caught up in those buried emotions. Because what that does is it, it, when you bury those memories, what you're doing is you're bearing the emotions that go with them. And they store themselves somewhere in your body. And what that does eventually is cause physical problems, causes additional emotional problems. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because that's what you're thinking in the background. And the subconscious pretty much controls everything. I mean, you don't have to think about breathing. You don't have to think about being your heart. Um, None of that stuff. Well, all those thought patterns that you're indoctrinated with when you go through a lot of trauma, it also becomes automatic. So until you bring that up and allow yourself to let go of that emotional charge, it continues to affect you throughout throughout your entire life. I mean, I can see it. I can look back on my life and see why different things happened the way they happened and why I drew certain people to me that I had that. Certainly were of no benefit to me, um, because it was my my unconscious was basically fulfilling its the prophecy of what I was told, for better part twenty years.
0: Wow! Wow! Enough.
1: But the spiritual aspect is what saved me. That's what drew. That's what. That's what helped bring me out. Um, and I just started following that, and I mean, I, could, I resonated with it immediately. Um. Later on, I would go through a well. They call it a near-death experience. I was actually declared dead, um, and it was during that during that experience that I had what is commonly called a spiritual awakening, and that's when things really started to open up for me. Um, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, "How could that? How could that have been a good thing?" And it's like. Well, you know, depending on how you choose to look at it, um, it was in that, it was during that, that near death experience that I was, I was able to experience what real love was like, hmm. for, for the first time in my life. Um, what it truly meant to be loved and to love, and to me, that I, I, there's no way that that could could I even begin to consider that a bad thing.
0: Yeah, You, you said so, that so beautifully. You said that all of that so beautifully. And that's so profound. And that speaks to the wisdom that you've gained, surely, um, over the course of your life. And I mean, so, gosh, I mean, just listening to all of what you've been through. I mean, gosh, I mean, the, the list is extensive. Um when did, like, so going through all of that, I mean, it'd be very easy to get pushed to that point, as you were saying, you know, you're at the top of that building and kind of contemplating, you know, like, is it worth it to keep going or not? And then you feel that pull and that you're hearing that voice saying, no, n- please don't. Do you want this to happen? You know, And having these near-death experiences, when did you feel, like, were, were those moments the shift from the mindset of... You know, like you're going through it to, it's time to heal and get better. I don't want to keep going through it with it. I want to go through it and I want to heal and get better.
1: Yeah. Um, the suicide attempt was was the beginning of that turnaround for me. Um, but it wasn't until the near-death experience that I finally, it's, it's almost like I feel like I achieved a level of awareness that I needed to know mm. to be able to put all that had happened prior to that to rest. Um, it comes in layers um, and it doesn't, and it's not linear. That's one of the things people seem to confuse. And I've run into this a lot talking with other people is they think that, you know, you've one step here, one step in, and then all of a sudden you're at the end of your journey. Well, it doesn't work that way um out there is not linear only here in this time frame that we have developed is every is anything linear um everything is eternal on the other side so it doesn't you don't you don't get it it's almost like a spiral Mm -hmm. in certain aspects because I keep reaping, because as I've gone through self development in my spirituality, especially if it's Reiki and metaphysics, I have had to revisit certain things to gain even more insight so that I could put it completely to rest. Um, I'm not sure how else to explain that at this point. Um, I can give an example if you'd like. Um, Mm -hmm. something that I had to deal with as a child that I I wouldn't be until in my forties that I finally got rid of it. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was very little and I distinctly remember the very distinctly the first time it happened, um, I was laying in my bed. Um, I could see, I could see everything in the room from the light coming in through the window. Um, And then all of a sudden, it was like I couldn't breathe. I couldn't move. Um, they now call it sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, I mean, all of a sudden, these black... There were so many of them. I mean, it was like a flow of these these undulating creatures crawling up the foot of my bed. And they would come, and then they would wait until this figure would come out from the middle of all of this. And it had... Red eyes, and it would just you know arms folded, and it would be staring at me. And all these creatures would be undulating around, and I'm of course I'm terrified. I'm six years old, um, and it would just take its finger and point at me, and they would start coming up my body, and I could feel it. I mean, <laughs> I didn't think it was a hallucination whatsoever. I thought it was pretty damn real well myself. Mm. And it literally, and about the time they get to my chest. I would, I would wake the next morning. Now this went on until I was in my mid-40s. And as I got older, I just would lay there and just think, you can't have me. Because I that's that's how I thought of it, was that they were trying to come get me. Um I thought of it more as as Satan, hell come to get me type of thing. I was raised Catholic, so that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I got into metaphysics that I actually got an answer to how to get rid of them. And it's called calling. And basically what I was told was call on the Christ consciousness and tell them that if you are not of the Christ consciousness, then you need to leave now and not come back. I will not let you in my space. Mm -hmm. And I remembered this the next time it happened and this beautiful, brilliant, bright light comes down. Literally everything just, it's like an explosion, but I mean, everything just took off at once and I've never had another one since.
0: Wow. Wow. So going through all of that, what were your beliefs around healing when you first started to pursue it? And, you know, did you think that healing was possible or, you know, did you believe that things could get better than how you were experiencing
1: them when I first from the time I wanted from that suicide incident I had my doubts I'm not gonna lie I had my doubts it was like well I haven't found any answers so far I don't know what makes them think there's you know it's gonna be any better but it was literally one one step at a time um during that, it would probably be a full year after that suicide attempt before I really felt like I that at some I began to believe that it was possible. Even though with all my searching, I was coming up with very little, I still wouldn't give up. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with the books that I was led to. Um, like Dan Millman's Way of the Peaceful Warrior, Um I don't remember something oh, Illusions, uh, another great book. And it's still around, by the way, and still very valid. Um, Illusions. Wow, I'm going blank.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Okay. So you felt like, and I, I'm just echoing back. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but what I'm hearing you say is that, um, you had some doubts for a while, you know, you're going, th- you're in the thick of it, right? You're in the thick of, you know, this aftermath and you're feeling potentially at your worst point and then you get that pivotal moment, right? And then you're thinking, you know, like, I'm not really sure, but clearly, like, maybe it's like, I'm still here for a reason. Might as well shoot my shot. Yeah.
1: You know, why did they come and, and do that? Why did they, they found the one thing that would, that would make me stop. Mm because at that because up to that point I did I couldn't find any reason not to
0: yeah
1: i mean i i didn't just stand at the abyss and look in it i let myself fall in
0: yeah yeah that's kind of how it feels huh yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> that's how it felt to me yeah um so you finally decide that you're ready to do some healing work and you're you're looking around you're reading books you know things like that what kind of work have you done to pursue healing what did that look like for you
1: um initially i i back then hypnotherapy was a was a big thing and i tried doing regression therapy um
0: would you mind explaining what regression therapy is
1: well basically what they do is is they put you into a deep trance state and then they walk you back through your past mm. to to try and remember you know details and what you what you think about it and you know what you were feeling to help try and release it not a fan
0: (laughs) that sounds rough that that really is
1: it was because it took me back to an incident when I was still with my grandmother before I was taken away and um I literally I came up swinging it out of the chair wow Um, I was, I mean, because the problem is they took me, they took me back into the situation Mm. and without, so it was like I was, I was back in the situation. Yeah, yeah. And I was screaming, I was crying, I was flailing my arms and I mean, I literally came up out of the chair. I mean, they didn't know what to do. And I don't, I don't think they were really ready for something like that. Um, I wasn't either. (laughs) Um, so I just, but that opened, that opened up a series of memories that I had, that I did have to deal with without any help. And, um, so that, that wasn't something I was recommending to anybody back at the, during the time, the, um. Now, they have come up with a therapy, a hypnotherapy. It's called timeline therapy that works way better. Mm. You don't actually go back into the situation. You send your, you send a duplicate of you. And that works really well. Mm. I use that when I, when I found Centerpoint Research. They're the ones that, uh, helped develop that and, uh, along with neurolinguistics programming. And, um, that really, that really made a big difference, and then I would discover Centerpoint Research, which also they actually have therapists on staff, and um, I did a lot of work with them for about a year. And I also started using what they call Holosync, and the thing I loved about Holosync, I used to be, I used to really, I couldn't sit still, and I couldn't, I couldn't hold a steady hand to save my life. Um, and I was constantly twitching and stuff like that, which comes from, you know, that can come from traumatic experiences. Holosync healed all of that. Um, I had ulcers. I had, um, like I say, the twitch, the, the shakes, um, especially if I got upset. I mean, I would be a mess for days. And, um, doing the holosync actually helped even out my brain waves. And that got rid of all that. I haven't had problems with ulcers. I haven't had a tick. Nothing since I went through that. And they also started teaching. It it was through CenterPoint that I started learning how the brain works mm. and how it stores things. And I became absolutely fan. fan you know, I I was just it was fantastic. I, it became a passion. Uh, learning about the brain and how it works and why we do what we do, and this type of thing and so, in the process of learning about myself is when I gained actual compassion. Um, it starts with learning learning about loving yourself mm. and um, to me, that is probably one of the biggest contributing factors right there, me healing. Um, and then, like I say, it's been a progression ever since. It wasn't until a few years ago that I actually got into they – have, they have discovered a new therapy. Um, there's CBT and then there's DBT. They, mm-hmm. My therapist put me through DBT, which is basically voicing what happens, talking about what happens, but at the same time allowing those emotions to come up and come out and – You know, what you were thinking, allowing yourself to, that it's okay that you thought those thoughts that you, you know, that you basically wanted to kill them. Uh, You hated them. You didn't like what was going on. You didn't, you were scared travelers. And that it, and, and it's okay that you had those feelings because I never, like I said, it took me years to finally regulate my emotions. But first I had to learn that it was okay to have them because I wasn't allowed to have them. Um especially the negative emotions but even even the happy times, it was always you're too loud, you're too noisy you're you know and it was like so I' got to the point where I was just just like this on the outer, but on the inner i am just uh, i'm a mess, and I know this, but I didn't know how to i didn't i didn't know how to fix it mm. but it, it it's been well worth the journey <laughs> I can actually say i'm a i'm a Conscious human being,
0: yeah. It's almost like you know, you, you, try, you. It's like we all kind of fall for that fairy tale narrative where we're waiting for our knight and shining armor to come and rescue us—that hero, right? Like, come, mm-hmm. come, let me be rescued, rescue me, save me. And I think the big yeah, thing, I felt for
1: that. That didn't work either.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it's it's like we had to. It's like all of those years and all of that time spent enduring the trauma and during the aftermath it's like that's slowly we're slowly putting on our own armor to become our own hero and get us out of there and do the work and get in the trenches and do it and i mean that is the hardest lesson i think is shattering those beliefs would you agree
1: yes i would definitely agree with that um i was always looking for love in all the wrong places Mm. it wasn't until i finally realized that i it started with me and that it was okay to love me, that I was worth loving, um, that I could be a, a very compassionate, forgiving, nurturing individual, that um, not to mention forgiving myself, because I did some very stupid things along the way too. Mm. Um,
0: Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but yeah, it, it does, it's, but yeah, it, uh, it's, it's that it starts with you. And mm-hmm. we've all been, for the most part. I know back during when I was coming up, you know, especially in the Catholic Church, it was like, you know, you know, you're supposed to be here for service to others, you know. And of course, I grew up being in servitude, so mm-hmm. that kind of all fit in together. But it was until I really started serving me and giving me what I needed, um, nothing would nothing worked. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it's it's a process. The difference is nowadays you can get there in a lot less time.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Lou, um, there are people listening to this who may be at the very beginning of their healing journey. Maybe they're at that pivotal moment. Um, what is one thing you want them to know about healing?
1: take it one step at a time don't try to do it all at once won't work well i can guarantee you that i wanted to rush it (laughs) and and um i finally had to because i wanted i wanted to be healed it's like oh my god you know let's get this over with i want to be healed and um but no take the time you're worth the time um taking the time now We'll save you a lot of time later. Um, have compassion for yourself. love yourself. One of my one of my shining moments is it took me a long time before I could actually stand in the mirror and say, "I love you." That to me was a major triumph and I didn't feel funny about it. I actually felt as I actually knew that I truly loved me, and when you can get to that point, trust me you've hit a major milestone. Just keep going it's not a it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, but you are well worth the journey. Mm. I just
0: wanted to sit with that for a second because that is. Mm. So true. So true. So um, for all of you listening out there, make sure you get a copy of Tortured to Triumphant. Lou clearly has an incredible story with so many different avenues on how to approach healing and um, a variety of trauma that had to be overcome. And I know that I'm just, I'm just sitting on the edge of my seat, waiting for my copy to arrive. And, um, Lou, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing your story and being so incredibly vulnerable and, you know, assisting the goal of the podcast, which is to reach people. And I I think that you have definitely helped me do that in a way that I alone could not have done. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Amanda, for having me on.
0: Yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, so are you working on anything else that people should be on the lookout for? Where can people find you? How's that all going?
1: Well, I'm working on um, getting my site ready. Um, I'm going to be doing a pre-launch pretty soon. Um, the site is spiritbrainplay.com. And you'll get to, to take a quiz and see where your feelings of self-worth and self-esteem are. Um and then I'm going to be asking you to do a survey to, to let me know where you're at so that I can better, um, what's the word I'm looking for, build a course based on what you need now. Mm. And there will be more to follow. Um, I already have several, several articles and several blogs ready to be posted. So there's definitely more to come.
0: That is so exciting. Awesome. And as soon as all that comes out, I will be adding that to the podcast details that you can just click right on there. Um, And again, also on the flourishing with PTSD, uh, Instagram flourishing.with.ptsd. So yeah, that's so exciting. So thank you all so much for being here. As always, thank you for listening. I hope that it continues to be a source of comfort, knowing that you are not alone in what you are going through that healing is absolutely possible, and that it won't be like this forever. Your pivotal moment could be right around the corner, so hang on, hang in there. I hope that the podcast continues to be a source of education around topics like this in a way that's approachable and accessible to everybody, and that this podcast is accomplishing my goal, which is ending the stigma around mental health struggles one conversation at a time. Talk soon. Bye!